Hey guys, welcome to the Change Up Podcast. Josh and Chad here. This is where we talk about culturally relevant topics, but we look at them through an honest gospel worldview. Let's get it. Technically, that's the right word for it because it is a lot. It's sixty-six books. It's technically like a library. The Bible is right. Biblioteca is a library. I think it's Spanish for library. (laughs) We just renamed the Bible to a library. (laughs) The library of God's word. I'm gonna start putting that on my Bibles. I remind the library. I mean, if you think about it, that's what a library is, right? Different books and stuff. And so it's 66 books. Just found into one. Yeah. Who's the librarian? The Holy Spirit. He's Ooh, a writer. The writer, for that one. the writer and the librarian. You got to be quiet. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're supposed to. Reverence. Yeah. Holy awe. When Fear and trembling. Reading, study, and praying. All that takes. Quiet, you know. Just saying. Kind of like this track we're on. Yeah, this is a library. When you're in the library, you're overwhelmed by the knowledge in there. Right. You need a plan. You need a guide. Got to study. You don't know it. You got to read it. You got to understand it. You need a Dewey Decimal System. I mean, the library is where you go to study, where you go to write papers, where you go to... I mean, just saying that the analogy works is all I'm getting at. Well, we're in this thing, so let's keep rolling. What's up, guys? What's up, Chad? What happened? What happened? Round two? Yeah. Season two. Season. It was one season like a few years. <laughs> yeah. And then we had a little hiatus. Yeah. And yeah. now we back. Took a break. Got a little older, a little wiser. And with a second episode, that shows you guys that we're the real deal. Yeah, we're coming we're back. We're here to stay. Until you don't know leave. when we're coming back, but we do come back. Yeah. <laughs> you can't keep us down unless, of course, you do. That's right. Keep us down. And then we're down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we're going to get right into it, and um, we have a serious topic today. Last episode, yeah, almost said last week, we talked about just the gospel. What is the gospel? What does it mean to be a real deal Christian? And uh, today I wanted to talk about something that gets actually brought up a lot. It it may Mm -hmm. uh, at first come off as one of those deeper theological topics, but I actually hear a lot of unbelievers and a lot of brand new believers bring this up on the college campus. So I think it's something we all need to wrestle with because ultimately at the root of this question is the character of God. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the most important thing. So the question is, um, the hypothetical man on an island, if he never hears the gospel, will he be saved? Mm -hmm. Can he be saved? Um, Is he just given a free pass? And I think there are some different views on this, and I think there's some wrong views, obviously, with anything. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also some things we just don't know the full mind of God on, but we're just going to look at the Bible and a few different passages and yeah. um, try to answer this question. So if someone asked you this, all right, Chad, but what about the man on an island? Because mm-hmm. you know, ultimately, we talk about the gospel. You got to believe the gospel in order to be saved. But what if someone's never heard of Jesus? 
Yeah. How are they saved? Where do you start? I think I would start with asking a question back because I don't want to try to understand why they're asking the question because not everybody asks that question for the same reasons, right? Some people ask that genuinely curious. Some people ask that with motivation behind it. Um, so my question back would be, one, why are you asking this question and what do you mean by it? Like, are you saying that this man is innocent? Are you saying that um, this man deserves to be saved? This hypothetical man on the island? Are you saying that it's not fair? I think what they would say is, this is what I hear a lot. If he heard the gospel, if he had a chance, mm-hmm. then he would. They, they don't say this, but this is what they're assuming. Yeah. If this man could hear the gospel, then he would repent and believe. Yeah. And that's another good question to clarify because there's a there's a lot of answers to all those different questions. But ultimately, I think when that question is being asked, the question that's really being asked is the character of God and and the effectiveness of the gospel. Meaning if is God just and not and that man not hearing the gospel? Is God still good and just if he never that guy never hears and lives his whole life and goes to hell or, um, or this idea of if the man heard, he would repent and believe really speaking about like the only reason why he's not saved is because he didn't get a chance to hear. And if he did hear, he would repent. Well, that's also an assumption because a lot of times you said earlier before we got on here, a lot of people asking that question are people who do hear the gospel and don't repent. Yeah, they're not even <laughs> Christians, and they're, they're asking that question, and it's like, well, why are you concerned about that person? You have the full light. Yeah. In, in other words, you have you know, the most explicit gospel being preached to you nonstop. And you reject it. And you're rejecting it. What makes you think they would, rege- would, would accept it? Right. And they so- may. Or they may, but that's and the we'll point. get into that, but and that's the point, right? Yeah. So, I think the the answer to that question is wrapped up in the doctrine of election that God, another doctrine that people don't like, don't like, they reject. A, an easier way to say that is God's sovereignty and salvation. That God has to, God sovereignly chooses those whom He saves. Yeah. Um, and he has to be the one who intervenes, and he is the one who does the saving work, not man hears and chooses. And there's a man-centered gospel where it's all like if the, it's all on the person to believe. And then there's what we would say is the biblical view is because Scripture is clear as you study through it that like, no God has to regenerate the heart before one believes. Yeah. And yes, here's a, you know, there's many verses you could use to point to, to election. I mean, first of all, you know, li- the Bible literally says it. And so you can't ignore it altogether. Yeah. You have to have some frame of reference for it if you're yeah. any kind of student in the Bible. But John 17 is a, a chapter when Jesus is praying to his father. And it's yeah. one of the few, cha- well, it may be the only prayer that we hear of Jesus at, 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 of any length. Yeah. Right? We hear him on the cross. He, he cries out. But this is, you know, 27 or 26 verses of him talking to the Father. So it gives us 
a window into mm-hmm. the heart of Jesus. Yeah. And so this is what he says in verse 1 and 2. He's, when he begins the prayer, Father, the hour has come, talking about the crucifixion that's coming up the cross. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. In other words, show the world who I am, and I'm going to show the world who you are, mm-hmm. since you have given him, the Son, authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And so we see in that the doctrine of sovereign election. God sovereignly decides who will be saved. Yeah. He gives them, in a sense, to Jesus, and Jesus comes to this earth in order to save them, yeah. to offer eternal life, but then also draw them you know, to the Father. Yeah. And so we see it you know, clearly right there, and that was Jesus' goal when he was on this earth, was to save some. Yeah. And he only saved some. Right. I mean, only 12 people followed him around. Mm-hmm. And one of those was, he, he says later on, the son of perdition, that was Judas. Yeah. And so we see already his salvation is limited in its yeah. scope. And Jesus was God himself and spoke to crowds upon crowds, miraculously healed, raised the dude from the dead. Like So many times that argument of if they just heard, they would, ha- yeah. they would do it. It's like... God himself walked upon the earth for three years of his ministry doing miraculous signs, common storms. I mean, had all the evidence that he was God. Yeah. And 12 people followed him, and even they struggled. Right. You know, even Peter denied him. Even like even Thomas doubted. Mm-hmm. These aren't the ones who betrayed him. They were his apostles and, and did believe, but even they struggled in their faith. Yeah, I think a lot of times people think it's so hard to believe, and if they just saw some sign or if they were able to walk with Jesus, but that's the whole point. It shows us that we have something greater. The Holy Spirit was sent into the world to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment, to show us that these things are true. Yeah. So we have something better because it can reach to every single person. Yeah. So that answers the first question of like if if they heard then they would believe that's not true god's god is sovereign in salvation and and you have to wrestle with that if you truly study the scriptures it's from genesis to revelation god's sovereignty is all over the scriptures like you just have to throw the bible out if you don't believe that because everywhere i mean he's in control and if he's not then he's not god i just came over here from my men's bible study and we're studying through genesis and literally when we get to the interpretation part it's almost always god's sovereignty (laughs) in salvation like it's it's always a part of the and usually the main point of the passage if not the main point still a theme within that passage oh yeah it's a good um exercise to walk through old testament new testament whatever with a with a pen, and every time you see God's sovereignty, you know you write a little S to the side. Yeah, that's something I do. And you, your Bible will be full of S's. You have a lot of S's. Yeah. <laughs> so, so anyway, that answers that question. Now, the next question is the the question that that challenges the goodness or the morality of God. Like, how could not God not give this person a chance? And how could He send them to hell if they didn't have a chance? So yeah. it assumes the innocence of man, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's what they say. Basically, what about the innocent guy in Africa? Right. And the question, or the answer is, yeah, the innocent guy in Africa, he will be saved. Yeah. 
if there is such a thing. Exactly. So the question is, who's innocent, right? Right. What, what passage so, are you going to? Romans 3 is is one place to go. Romans 3, 10 um, through 12 says it very explicitly. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. I mean, that's very explicit. No yeah. one, right? It's just none, no one, none, no one. <laughs> you know, so the answer is the idea of an innocent man on an island is is a non-existing man. Yeah. It does not exist because all are born with sin. So everyone deserves God's wrath. And Matthew 5 in the Beatitudes that's what Jesus is doing there a lot. He's clarifying for the Pharisees the reality of sin and the heart of sin. If you're angry, you've committed murder. If you've lusted, you've you've committed adultery. It's like you're you're trying to balance out goodness based upon your works, and I'm telling you it's based upon your heart. And if you've if you have the heart of sin, you have elevated your sin is elevated to the point of deserving wrath. Like you've yeah. murdered and and so that there is no such thing as the innocent man on the island. That's why he starts out the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 as blessed are the poor in spirit. Right. That's the whole point. You just have to recognize that you're broken. Humankind has fallen. Mm-hmm. We cannot achieve righteousness on our own. We have to enter with a poor spirit. Yeah. Basically, humility and bankruptcy. And a lot of times people will say, well, I just don't like Paul's writings because Paul seems to write about that stuff a lot. Well... Let's just look at what Jesus says, right? Jesus in Matthew 7 says, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. There are many who will enter through it, for the gate is narrow and the way is constricted that leads to life, and there are few who find it. I mean, Jesus right there is saying that there's it's a narrow way and, and few will find it. Um, you look at John 10, and we're going to look at John 17, but John 10 where he talks about, My sheep will hear my voice. That... They'll be, he's going to be calling out, and if you're not his, you will not respond. Yeah. Period. And so, God's sovereignty and salvation and the idea of no one being innocent is really what magnifies the idea of grace. Grace is, un, you know, our limited definition is unmerited favor, right? Like, we all deserve wrath. Every person in the entire world deserves God's wrath because we all have sin. And God demonstrates his grace that he saves, he chooses to save some for his glory. If And that's grace. If you've been saved, you've received grace and mercy. You have not earned it or deserve it. Right. And God has no prerogative to have to do it. He right. could destroy the whole earth and be fully justified and fully good. And he already showed us that in the flood. Yeah. So, so he's obviously willing to do that. I, I like to describe it as kind of the analogy that's brought up in Romans 9, mm-hmm. which is a lump of clay. Yeah. When Adam sinned, he basically threw the whole human race off the potter's wheel yeah. onto the ground. And now it's a ruined piece of clay. And, and the potter would be, I mean, it would be logical and reasonable for him to just throw the whole lump of clay out. Mm-hmm. But instead, in, in his desire to show some of his character 
and his ability to redeem and restore, he pinched off some of that clay and decided to save it and restore it into the image of Christ. Yeah. Romans eight twenty nine. Yeah. You know, into the or conformed to the image of his son. Yeah. And so that's his goal with the elect. Yeah. And that's why the doctrine of the elect is so powerful in giving us comfort with this question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because none of us would be saved without God's election, but because he does, that also gives us confidence in the salvation that we have. Yeah. It cannot be taken away either. That's right. what Romans 8 is all about. Now, that doesn't remove us from responsibility, which Absolutely. we'll get into that Absolutely. towards the end. Right. But I think I think that's what's important for the one who's asking that question, because I asked those questions at the beginning. What I would say to that person is, how much more judged are you, one who has heard the gospel and has rejected it, than the one on the island? That man on the island deserves wrath, but how much more do you deserve if you've heard it and rejected it? Um, and then secondly, if you have received it, it should grow your your humility and your gratefulness for having received salvation, and it should motivate you to want to take the gospel to the island. Yeah. So that because the balance with that is God does say to take the gospel to the nation. He does want everyone, you know, to hear. Which I think reinforces the idea that they have to hear. I mean, Romans 10 is clear. Yeah. How will they hear or how will they believe unless they hear and how will they hear unless there's a preacher and how will they preach unless they are sent? Right. The answer to all those questions is they won't. Right. So go. That's right. And in John 17, we see the need to go. And in uh, Matthew 28, we Absolutely. see the need to go. So Jesus's means of getting the guy on the island is through us sharing the gospel. Absolutely. And we should want to go and we should strive to go. But the going should be motivated by the glory of by God, uh, by worshiping and glorifying God in going versus the result of the going. Because if you go, which we should, to obey the Lord and to love people, there is no guarantee that if you get to that island, anyone would be saved on that island. Yeah, that's true. Only God can do that. Yeah, they, they'll reject it just like people in America reject it. I was and even more so because, yeah. I mean... It, it shows you the power of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Like there has to be power in it, because if people reject it in America, why would they accept it? Where there's a thousand years of you know unbiblical beliefs that are yeah. kind of like stonewalling the the yeah. gospel, and yet God can still break through. Yeah, I was talking with uh, Mike yesterday, actually, um, we were talking about uh, this this type of idea. He was talking in terms of eschatology and why why does the um uh post mill eschatology end times end times why does the post mill view uh grab the hearts of young men so much people think I'm just explaining yeah, post mill is just they think things are getting better and we're bringing about the kingdom on earth uh, Christ in us but Christ not visible mm-hmm. and what I told him is. I think the reason why that, because there's a lot of holes in that view that doesn't line up with scripture, we wouldn't agree with it. We're we're pre millennial. Pre mill, you want to? Uh... Yeah, pre mill is just <laughs> that there will be a visible return of Christ, and then that that kingdom, that perfect kingdom, will begin for a thousand years. And that our work with the gospel is not making the world better, right? Like it's saving it's just saving people. His elect 
so that the fullness of the Gentiles will come in. Yeah. At Romans 11. So, Josh is acting as my interpreter this morning. That's, <laughs> that's good. Oh, you were talking with Mike, so we're going to need know, an interpreter. I, I He's an encyclopedia. It. No, I appreciate you doing it. <laughs> so, where I'm going with this is what I was talking with him. As I said, I think the reason why the post mill, where we think that we have some sort of a mission to make the world better, grips the heart of young men is because it really clings to that idea of pride within us. I want to be important and I want to... It's man-centered. I want to have something to do. And they would hate... They, anybody listening to this who has that view is not going to like what I'm about to say, but it really is akin to the Arminian view and the whole reason why we have seeker-sensitive churches and all this kind of stuff. It is about the results, man's ability to bring about results. Yeah, and Arminian is... It kind of, you know, combats Calvinism with... Um, giving it's a man-centered gospel it is i'm just trying to word it a little differently like basically they give people um more um i don't want to say power responsibility responsibility and influence in their own salvation versus a calvinistic view and the ability to save others yeah yeah like their persuasion ability um their persistence their winsomeness yeah. All leads to more salvation, and it becomes very works based versus the the Calvinistic view or the or the reform view. I like to use that word more. Is we we are just ambassadors. We go and spread the gospel. God does all the saving. We have which, no responsibility. This might be a good time to jump into this side of this topic, which is there's a few verses in Scripture and, and passages that give us some more comfort mm -hmm. in this conversation, which is that, well, I mean, God is sovereign. Um, but, you know, I think of the story, Elijah, when he had just finished killing all the prophets of Baal. Yeah. Was that second King, Kings? First, first Kings 19. 19. Okay. And then Jezebel's after him and yeah. he hears, so he runs cause he gets afraid and, and he's, you know, kind of complaining to God. He's praying to God and, he says, Lord, I'm the only one. Nobody will listen to me. He says, I have 7,000 of my people in this city. I need you to go back. Yeah. Well, we see the same thing in Acts 18, where Paul, I, for, I forget the context around it. If he doesn't want to go in the city, let me just turn to it. Because actually Acts 17 tells us uh, when he's preaching to the men in Athens, he says, um, let me just quote it, Acts 17 when he's addressing um, the Athenian men in the Areopagus, he says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by men. Uh, he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. So this is what Paul is saying here. One, he knows where you will live and when you will live. Yeah. And he knows that, and this is what he says, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. What he's describing here is people blindly groping for God, mm -hmm. but they can't ever find him because he doesn't open their eyes, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. So it's not because God is far that we don't find him. Mm -hmm. It's because he doesn't open our eyes yeah. or their eyes. Right. And so then later on in uh, Acts 18, um, 
he says, I have many that are mine in this city. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I kind of move into that because that gives us comfort to know that God is sovereign and he knows where his elect are in the world and when his elect are in the world. And he will send people to find them. That's why he, he tells us to pray in Luke 10, not pray for the salvation of his elect. Yeah. Although we should. Yeah. But he tells us to pray to that God would raise up laborers to go. Yeah. Because that's what he uses to save people. He could use he could just, you know, show up to people in a dream if he wanted, but he uses his men and women who have the gospel message to go and preach the gospel message. Well, and to circle back to why I brought up my conversation with Mike in that regard is the reason why that idea of us making things better or being able to save people grips so many people is because it's focused on self. And you, you can get a lot of identity from basically being the savior of the world. You may not say it that way, but essentially that's the motivation is to be able to go and make a difference and make something happen, right? Yeah. When the proper motivation is God's glory and humility says God is going to do all the work, I'm called to go out of out of worship and glory to him, and he will use his people to bring about his people. But I have no guarantees of who will be saved or who who will not. And it's not about me. You really have to be in Christ and motivated by Christ to do that because there is no selfish ambition in that. Yeah. Right? So I think it comes also from a lack of faith mm-hmm. in God. Like people feel like they need to defend God. Yeah. As in, well, the world's going to think he's unloving. It's like, well, what does the word say? Stand on the word. Yeah. And I mean, God can defend himself. He doesn't need a defender. What, I think it's probably Spurgeon who said, uh, you don't have to uh, defend a lion. You just let it loose. That's it. Same with God and his word. You don't have to defend it. Just know it and open up the scriptures to people and show them these verses. And if people want to reject that still, well, that's between them and the Lord. Well, and Peter says, be ready to give a defense of the gospel or defense of your faith. It doesn't say give a defense of God. It's saying, like, why you believe what you believe. Yeah. God will defend himself. And honestly, if people reject God and, and don't like that for the wrong reasons, that's really not your problem. I love that passage because it also says holding Christ as Lord in your heart. So it's like you're not trying to prove it necessarily. You, like yeah. you said, give a reason for why you believe. But in your heart, you just know that Christ is Lord, and you don't you don't play the other side. Like, okay, let's assume for a second that yeah. he's not. Well, you give the, people give that analogy of like if everyone has cancer and you had the you have the cure to cancer and you know that it's the cure to cancer, wouldn't you go and give it to everyone? Of course you would. But if people start arguing with you about whether or not that that cure is real, whether or not it's like it's loving if you. Go to this hospital or that. Like, who cares? You really wouldn't care. You'd just say, like, I know it's the cure. I'm trying to come. You have to take it and find out. Exactly. (laughs) And if you don't, if you want to keep rejecting me, then I'm just going to move on to the next person. Yeah. And it really, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter what people think. All that matters is what's true. And what we defend is the truth because the truth is most loving. If you live your life based upon the opinion of everybody else or what everybody thinks about it, you'll you'll do nothing for 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 good reason. Yeah. Like what you have to care about is what's true. 
we want to deliver the truth in a loving way. I'm not saying just don't care about people. I'm just saying we have to believe in the truth of who God is and the gospel so much and the faith so much that we know it's the cure and, and the only hope that man has that we're going to give it like Paul does in Romans 1. Like this is, I, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the only thing for salvation. So I'm going to give it. But then he goes on to talk about in, verse, in chapter 1, people hear it and just reject it. Yeah, actually, I actually have so, my Bible open to that. And and this goes into explaining why, like we all know that Romans three ten through twelve, like you read, no one is righteous, no one seeks for God, right? And so, and then Romans three twenty three, all have sinned, and Romans six twenty three, the wages of sin is death. So just those passages alone show us that God is just. But this is this is how God views the um, the man on an island. It says the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. His invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. Yeah. And so what he's talking about there is general revelation. Every single human being ever that has the intellectual ability to comprehend reality, mm. right? Which that's another thing we could talk about is the infants. And, and yeah, yeah, well, that's a different discussion for a different day. But. Um, but they can see that God is real. Yeah, it's clear to them, and they reject that light. Yeah, they don't use that light to to cry out to God and seek Him. Yeah, if they did, then they would be God's elect, and God would be drawing them, calling them, as Romans eight talks about, and someone would show up at their door with the gospel. And the reason I know that's true is because Acts 10 teaches us that with the story of Cornelius. Yeah. Right? He lived in a time where when he, it said he was a God-fearing man. Yeah. And so he lived and didn't know about Jesus because Jesus wasn't around. Right. Well, then Jesus comes, he lives, he dies, and he resurrects, and then he ascends back to the Father. And now you got the, the apostles running around Judea, Samaria, spreading the gospel. Mm -hmm. Well, now you got this guy, Cornelius, and he's representative of this group of people that they had some sort of faith in God, but since the gospel was available, they needed to hear the, the name of Jesus Christ and the message of the gospel to be saved. And so yeah. there's a vision, and Peter goes and shares the gospel with him. And then he, him and his whole household is saved. So you're saying it is necessary that he had to hear the gospel. He had to hear the gospel. I mean, I think that's why Acts 10 is given to us to show like, okay, now we're in this new yeah. redemptive part of history where Jesus is possible to be heard of. Yeah. So therefore, so, so we're answering, Act 4. So we're answering question one about man on the island that he, he can't be saved by any other name other than Christ. So he has to actually hear about Jesus. Yeah. Okay. He's got to be. He's got to be able to hear about Jesus. I agree then, with that. I'm just clarifying on that. And then Paul moves into Romans two, where he shows that how God judges their heart. Yeah. Right. Because he judges the Jewish person based on the law. They know the law and they break the law. Well, then he judges the Gentile person, the one who's never heard the law, based on the fact that they have the law written on their heart mm -hmm. and they. They show that that's true when they feel guilty when they do something wrong. Yeah. But they also show that it's true when they try to do what's right. 
Yeah. Because it says your conscience will excuse you or accuse you. Yeah. So it'll either make you feel wrong, which shows that, right. okay, the law's on your heart. Why do you feel wrong about that? Uh-huh. Or it'll make you feel good a little bit. Yeah. Because, you know, you helped the old lady cross the street. So all's guilty. All in God's general revelation, just creation itself makes us guilty and our conscience makes us guilty. So they have to hear Christ. Everyone's guilty. So man on the island. He's not innocent, and he has to hear the name of Jesus. Yeah. But here's where election gives us comfort. If that man is God's elect, he Somebody's will, gonna go out he there will hear the gospel. A, a gospel track will float up on the, sea sh- the shore. Uh, some, some way, yeah. he will hear the name of Christ and the gospel, and he will be saved by Jesus. Yeah. That's what gives us comfort, like you are saying, is everyone who is, who is God's, who is his elect? Who is his? Who are his children? Just like we see all through the Old Testament, you referenced um, Elijah and First Kings, all the way through. God never loses any of His own. They will always be saved. Mm-hmm. So, really, the question of what about the innocent man on an island is a false question. Meaning that person does not exist. Yeah, there is no innocent man. And the also the fear of what if someone was supposed to be saved but they never heard and didn't get to be saved also doesn't exist. Right. Because if we believe in the sovereignty of God, he loses no one. Exactly. So really, that's a fear that we don't need to have. Jesus says in John 17, in verse 9, I'm praying for them. He's talking about the the disciples. Not the church yet. He prays about the church later. I'm praying for them. Uh, Oh, I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Talking about the elect. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. So that shows us this doctrine of... it's been called different things. Particular redemption is one, or limited atonement. Yeah. Jesus only died for those whom he would save, right? whom and, the Father elected. And they all get saved. Yeah. Not a single one gets left behind. No failure with no the failure. Lord. Which really, like you said, the comfort and the confidence that comes from the truth of the God's Word and the Gospel. In our own sharing of the Gospel— we can go out sharing boldly and freely because we know whoever God is going to save through our sharing of the gospel will get saved. Yeah. 100% guarantee that if God leads us to someone who is his elect and you share the gospel, they will get saved. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah, and it may not be by you. You may just be planting the seed and they'll get saved five years later. That's right. So you can share freely knowing that the effectiveness of the gospel will happen. Which that is that makes sense because that's faith. That's right. If you say, well, I need to go and hone my skills and I'm going to get so good and I'm going to save more than anybody else. Right. You're not operating on faith. You're operating on your own efforts. And for when we pray for the world, we should pray like Christ. We should pray for those who God is saving and knowing that God is going to send people to those places to make that happen. And if he calls you, we should be praying for God to raise up missionaries, raise up laborers. We should be willing to go ourselves if he's calling us to because we know we have the confidence of the mission. God's mission will not fail. And so if he has a a place where the gospel needs to go to, he is going to raise up people 
to go and share that. And so we just need to pray for God's provision for that and wisdom in that and the boldness to share. I think we can close with this. But, uh, you know, when people ask this question, if they believe what the Bible teaches, they're really trying to be more loving than God. <laughs> yeah. And so look at what Jesus says at the end of the, the prayer. And, um, well, verse 20 is where he, he transitions to praying for the church, all of his elect. Yeah. I do not ask for these only, the disciples, but also for those who will believe in my name through their word. So we see... Um, a requirement there is to believe in me, Jesus Christ, right? They have to believe in him. They can't be saved by looking at a tree. And then verse 24, this is Christ's will. This is what he wants. And we can't want something better than what he wants, right? He's God. He says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know you that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you love me may be in them, and I in them. There is a select group of people there that Christ loved, that Christ died for, and that Christ will redeem, Mm -hmm. and we can't mess that up. That will not be messed up. So that should give us the comfort and, yeah. and the desire to go and share. Absolutely. And the the doctrine of election should give us more confidence and comfort in our faith. And like you said, it's an attempt to be more loving than God, but we have to understand that that question is actually not more loving than God mm-hmm. because it's coming from a place of a flawed mentality and judgment. Yeah. So... But it comforts us. Like For me, just knowing that if there's a place that the gospel has not went to yet and there's people that God is saving, that it's going to get there. It's hugely comforting yeah. in that in that way. And if God decides not to do that, i got to trust that he knew what was best. Mm-hmm. And, I, and it drives me to thankfulness that I was saved because I didn't need to be saved either. Right. Other than God said that that was supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I don't want to disagree with them. Yeah, me either. I don't want to be on that side. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, hopefully this was helpful. And thanks for listening. All right. Later. Later. Well, thanks for listening to the Change Up podcast brought to you by The Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. If you don't have a home church, please come check us out. Service times and all other information can be found at thefieldnola.com.